Um, let's pray, and then we will pass the basket and get started. Let's see, the end of this prayer upon entering, a very good prayer for you here from Doberstein, which is a great Lutheran prayer book. Let's pray. Lord, our shepherd, never cease to seek and to save those that are lost, that we may all praise thee together in the unity of thy spirit. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Uh, let's see. Yeah, I don't think we do, you know, that I was stunned when I read that Doberstein prayer book. I don't think we do enough praying for people who are, you know, uh, far off. We should do more of that. Uh, pray for people who have left the church, and I'm talking now, you know, big C church, who have left the church and who are wandering and far off. The Lord, <laughs> the Lord never gives up on people like that. And if you ever sort of think people like that are lost, you probably don't have a full understanding of what the Lord's about. So he never gives up on people. And in fact, um, it's the ones who are far off that he's always going after. So we need to pray for them. Speaking of far away, uh, Russia, Father Vitali, uh, we sent some money this week, or we'll send some money next week. Uh, we collected a little over $100 last week. We'll do it one more time for him. Um, I don't know what expenses are in Russia. I did send one of the guys from the Siberian Lutheran Mission Society uh, a board that I sit on presently. I sent one of the guys an email and said, we're sending some money, and he said, wow, this is great, but I'm sure $136 won't do it all the way. So uh, if you've got a little more, toss it in. If not, that's completely okay, nothing by force, but we will send that over to Russia and hopefully help out Father Vitali. Apparently they got the tumor out of his stomach, which is a, a great blessing, and uh, now he's got to pay the medical bills. So that could take a while. Uh, if you weren't here last week, we had uh, a little smaller crowd because it was Memorial Day weekend and all that stuff cooking, but we did take questions probably for 45 minutes, sort of questions straight. Are there any questions, those of you who were here last week, anything you didn't get to ask, or uh, maybe if you weren't here last week and you've had a burning question, anything you want to ask? Yes? If I don't get more laughs, am I going to keep my day job? Um, Unfortunately, I've tried to integrate laughs into my day job. Uh, so I could go back to being a boring old Lutheran pastor, which, you know, wouldn't be a hard thing. Sort of wake up and that's your identity. Uh, although I was happy that Jan did chuckle this morning. I forget even what I said, but I said something and she did chuckle. So your check's at the door. Just get that and cash it quickly. Uh, <laughs> but uh, thanks for that. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, you know, like I said, I don't know if it's an, I'm not funny or you're not funny. Maybe we're both not funny, I don't know. Uh, but the Lord will square all that up too. So, any other questions? Any serious questions? <laughs> Some of you aren't laughing, and that's never good. Uh, any questions? You all okay? All right. Okay, open up your outline. Um, you know, we started there, I think we got all the way through the beginning bit. Scriptural starting point, Zacchaeus, you know, ref uh, returns it fourfold. The key to the Zacchaeus story, of course, is that uh, it's not that Zacchaeus sort of was already in the process of returning, thing fo returning things fourfold. Um, that actually happens after the visit of Jesus. So in, um, you know, in, in classic Christian theology, and specifically in Lutheran theology, the Lord always makes the first move. You've got to keep that in mind. Um, so none of this is predicated upon you making the first move. In fact, uh, as I said in the sermon today, it, it could apply not only for joy but also for restitution. It's not about you. Um, but once the Lord says it's about you, then finally it is about you. 
So when the Lord forgives you and justifies you and saves you, you know, pick the term you want, they all mean the same thing. When he does that, then suddenly um, he invites you into his service. And I would push you to see the Christian life more fully. It's not just about being forgiven. When he forgives you, he pushes you out to suddenly live forgiven. And I often wonder, and you know, I don't, I don't necessarily want you to tell me why now because it could divert the whole discussion and I'd like to get through this. Uh, but at some point, I'd like to know why that is so difficult for folks. Why it's so difficult for folks um, to actually understand what it means to live a forgiven life. It's not difficult for your evangelical friends, at least for the most part. And I'm talking in theory now. I mean, in practice, you know, that's a whole different deal. But it's not difficult for your evangelical friends, and it's not difficult for your Catholic friends. Why is it so difficult for us who are Lutherans? So, um, you know, no need to answer that now, but think about that and tell me at some point. I have my own ideas, but it may sound sarcastic or untrue, so I don't want to actually tell you those. But um, there's a reason why every other denomination in the world talks regularly about the Christian life, and Lutherans for a long time haven't. Um, so part of the reason this sounds so foreign to you is because that's just not, those aren't the discussions we've had. Uh, but it is a new day, and as you know, the troubles in the church are not the same at every turn. So the troubles we face today are different troubles than we faced, uh, you know, in the 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s. So uh, with all of that then, the Lord makes the first move. Restitution then becomes our verb, but only energized by his verb. Look at page two, okay? And I think what we did last time, and I think it was helpful. I hope you find it helpful. I don't want to give you the answers. Um, because my answers are not always the only answers. I have answers that I think are right, but the thing about restitution in the Christian life is there are so many facets and opportunities to live a certain way that you know, one answer, you're not robots. It's not just like we say, well, this answer works for everybody. It doesn't. So I'm curious, first and foremost, what you would do in response to these things. What I've given you is very objective data. I've given you um, the AOR report. Um, these are reports that the pastors and the governing board saw about five days before everybody else did. Um, but I've given you their report, their critique of us, and specifically the sins that they found in us. So, like I said before, they've identified a sin. Lord willing, we've repented of that. I pray we have, and I think for the most part we have. We've been forgiven, of course, because that's what the Lord wants to do. And now the question is, how do we make restitution for those sins? Now, the first one, obviously, was the third commandment. Uh, I was going to say it's a very easy thing to make restitution for. You just start coming to church, which is true. Um, but oftentimes we see that as a very easy sin, sort of not a big deal. You just don't show up to church a few times. Um, that is a sin on par with every other sin, um, which means it destroys the heart and soul of the Christian life. It, it slowly but gradually moves you further and further from Christ. So uh, to make restitution for that sin, the best thing you can do is be in contact with the gifts. Okay? And that doesn't, we've had some people say, uh, well, I'm, I'm going to go to another church, and I'm still going to church, just so you know, I'm still going to church. Um, but as long as you're part of this community, that presupposes, this is the way it is in the scriptures, that presupposes that your third commandment obedience will happen at this church. So this just doesn't mean, you know, sort of show up wherever you want. Um, it means you go to the place um, where you're under somebody else's specific care. Okay? Now I realize you travel and Christmas and holidays, and those are exceptions. Um, but the normal course of things is you're at this altar uh, hearing this word on a regular basis. You don't just choose, as you know, 
uh, you don't just say, Dad, I don't like you anymore. I'm going to go to dinner at somebody else's house. And your dad kind of says, well, that's fine. At least you're going to dinner at some dad's house. <laughs> right? If you want to leave the family and change your last name, that's one thing. But if you just kind of say, hey, Dad, you know, you, you and Mom keep making dinner, but for the next three or four weeks, I'm going to go to dinner at Billy's house. You know, your dad's like, no, this is your home. This is your house. This is where you belong. And so long as you're under that father's care, um, that's where you need to be in order to be obedient and faithful to the third commandment. So restitution might just be, uh, you know, returning to church, returning to Bible study. Um, we could talk for hours about that, but... I would like to finish. So uh, let's go on to the fifth commandment. And here you see then the critique of AOR. During public meetings, such as the informational meeting held in May 2009 and the governing board meeting in August 2009, people expressed anger in their tone, words, name-calling, body language, public, public accusations, and the manner in which they spoke. Now, uh, as I read this, one thing jumped out at me. What's the thing that jumps out at you? What, say that again? Body language. Isn't that fascinating? You know, you think you, when you're just sort of sitting there not speaking, you're not really saying anything, you're saying something. Um, you know, it's, it's like when you have a husband and a wife who's sort of fighting and they say, you know, I don't, we don't yell at each other and we haven't talked about this. And you sort of look at them and say, believe me, you're talking, right? I mean, I can see the way you're leaning away from her and the way you don't want to, I mean, I get it. You're talking. Um, so the most striking thing to me was body language, and you see this all the time, when people can't sort of look you in the eye. Um, and some people are just naturally shy, but people who are very outgoing for a long period of time then suddenly can't look you in the eye or can't say hello. Um, that is a mark of breaking the fifth commandment, as AOR spotted. And I would even say to you, the scary, here's the scary thing. You remember the church fathers talked about how once you've been baptized and the cross has been put on your forehead, the demons, and specifically Satan, can't look you in the eye. So he always sort of has to shield himself. There comes a point where someone has been so caught up in evil um, that they actually assume the place of, of Satan in a congregation, and they can't quite look you in the eye. And that's a scary thing. So it's usually, um, you know, people are just shy, and that's one thing. I know plenty of shy people. But if you're an outgoing person, and all of a sudden you walk by me and can't look at me, that might be evidence of something deeper. Okay, so body language is a big thing. In individual interviews and group meetings with the ambassador, team members, people expressed, page three, people expressed anger and great disdain for certain individuals in the church. In Matthew 5, Jesus says, you have heard, it, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. And there is, in some sense, there's a double sin there. Sometimes they expressed uh, anger, and I wasn't in all those meetings, but there was anger expressed, and anger, of course, is a form of murder. But sometimes they expressed anger over things they had sort of conjured up in their own minds. I was very surprised when, um, you know, we had lots of meetings with AOR folks um, as pastors and individually. I was very surprised when they came in at one point and said, here are all the things we've heard about you. To which I said, why, wow, none of those are true. <laughs> um, like, you know, you refuse to make your hospital visits. You refuse to do this, you refuse to do that. To which I said, you know, here's a list of all the visits I've made. That's very strange. To which they said, well, we're not here to figure out who's telling the truth. All we're saying is this is what's been said. So not only have people said it in a very angry tone, 
But in saying things in an angry tone, they've not spoken the truth. So that's a, it's in some sense a double sin. Okay? According to the scripture, members of St. John Lutheran Church and School were guilty of murdering one another in their hatred and anger toward one another. See Matthew 5, 1 John 3, Galatians 5. The elder, and now here now it shifts to leadership in the congregation. The elders, pastors, and other leaders contributed to murder when they failed to restrain these sinful public acts, attacks. AOR, AOR report, page 17. So what are the two sins that they've spotted? What's the sin in the congregation and the sin in the leadership? The sin in the, in the congregation is what? Murder, yeah. Being angry, saying hateful things, saying hurtful things, pick your thing. That's a sin in the congregation. What was the sin in the leadership? Not stopping it. Okay? And now that's a scary thing when you think about it, that actually not stopping a crime uh, makes you guilty of the same crime. You saw this in New York when people walked by the guy who was being beaten to death. Guess who they're looking for now? Not only the people who beat him to death, but the people who stood there and watched it. <laughs> okay? Yes? Say that again? Hmm? Exactly. So in your, in your lack of action, you've committed the same sin. Okay? Now how do we make restitution for this? If the sin was murder, and if the sin was allowing murder, so two sins, how do we make restitution for that? That would be, yeah, that would be, that would be a good first step to go back. Well, that would be your Matthew 18 step, going back to the person and saying, I'm sorry. That sort of brings things back to even. But then how do you make restitution for this? Yes. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the first thing is you've got to pray about it. The problem sometimes is we stop with the prayer. <laughs> we, we just stop with the prayer, right? So the prayer is sort of the last thing. And, and I agree that it does take time. But remember, a lot of this happened, let's see, what did it say? Um, May and August of 2009, that's a year. That's a long time, right? That's a long time. Penny. Yeah, that might be the first step. That's a very good point. Go back to the, to the folks who heard the, the, the hurtful things that were said and sort of undo those hurtful things. Um, so, you know, if you told AOR that, that a pastor refuses to do something which just wasn't true, you should probably call AOR back and say, you know, you spent all this time and we spent all this money and there were a lot of helpful things that came out of it, but one thing that I said that wasn't true was dot, 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 um, period. That might be, and also go back to the person whom you said it about, right? The troubling thing with murder, if you've been watching anything on TV, what's the troubling thing with murder? Once someone's murdered, you can't actually make restitution for that person, right? And you have to begin to think about the church that way. You can make restitution, but it is murder in a similar way that you know pulling a gun out and shooting someone is murder. You've destroyed their reputation. You've killed them in the congregation. 
So it's very hard to make restitution for murder. What you can do is, thankfully, you haven't killed me physically, or killed you physically, or whomever else you spoke about. Um, so you do have a chance to square those things up and move them forward. The other thing is, you individually, if you had committed murder, you may not be able to make restitution toward the person you actually murdered, but you can make restitution to everybody else who's around and for future generations. Right? It's like I gave you the story about the, about the man who had committed murder and they brought him before the wife and the mother of the two people who were killed and said, what do you want to do? He said, she said, he can come home and be husband to me and father to my other children. So for future generations then, he was making restitution. Yes? Our course, our course on World War II history starts next week. Um, <laughs> Joe Hansen will be leading that one. Uh, so why don't you bring that question back next week? I take the point. Here's the thing. Everybody else has got to make restitution for their own things. And I, believe me, I'm not trying to downplay that because I do think there were Lutherans who stood up like Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, but I, but uh, I got my own issues. So part of the struggle is we can always talk about everybody else's problems. If we figure out all of our own problems, then we'll work on somebody else's. Or bring it back next week and Joe will talk about it. <laughs> okay? Someone else had a hand up over here. Yes? Yes. Okay, so here's, let's just, let's remember what the normal progression is. A sin is committed. What happens next? Starts with an R, ends in repentance. Repentance. Good. <laughs> I did get some laughs, although the one person, see now, Abby is sitting in the back and she's like, that is so stupid. I mean, I can, I can actually, I can, talk about body language, I can feel it right now. Don't murder me, don't murder me, that's what I'm thinking. Yes, repentance. So the first thing would be a repent, to be repentant, which means to turn around, it's a, it's a change of course, right? Um, so you repent, you turn around, I'm not doing that anymore. What happens next? Sin, repentance, then what? Nope, before that, you got two more steps before that. To be forgiven, first you have to do what? You have to confess the sin. Confession. So you tell the Lord and you tell the other person what you've done. Then what? Forgiveness, absolution. Then what? Then restitution. So if you've committed murder, first thing is you say, oh boy, I'm not going to do that again. Then you say, Lord and Carol, if I've murdered you, I've committed murder. I'm very sorry about that. The Lord and Carol both say, I forgive you. And then you say, thank you very much. Now, by the way, I want to make restitution for this. So since I murdered you by telling everybody around you that you have mismanaged outreach funds, I'm going to go back and tell everybody that you haven't mismanaged those funds because that was a lie and it wasn't true, and I killed your reputation by doing it. And in fact, I'm going to make sure that next year it's not $2,500 that goes to your budget, it's $10,000 that goes to your budget. How's that? <laughs> thank you very much. You're forgiven. That might be restitution. What about what? Yeah, and guess how he makes restitution. Were you here this morning at 9 o'clock? Were you here this morning at 9 o'clock? 
You'll hear it at 11.15. Wait for it. You'll hear how he makes restitution. How does Paul make restitution? In the epistle for today, how does he make restitution? More than that, he was killing people for preaching the gospel. What does he now do in the epistle for today? He preaches the gospel. And they said people were amazed, and they said, this is the same guy who killed people. Now he's preaching the gospel? And remember, Paul says, I tell you this, and I do not lie. That's his restitution. He can't bring back from the dead all those people he stoned. Guess what he does? He puts himself in the place of those who have been stoned. Okay? So, fifth commandment, your restitution would be, uh, you know, start by being calm. I mean, anger is an emotion. Start by being calm. Here's the other thing. If you can't be calm, you know, the ancients always said, know thyself. I mean, you know yourself. If you can't be calm, then don't put yourself in a situation where you're not going to be calm. Right? I mean, if you know that, it's like anything else. If you know that you struggle with certain sins, don't put yourself in a situation where you're going to be involved in that. If you struggle with alcoholism, don't go to the bar. If you struggle with lust, you know, don't use the internet. Pick your thing. If you struggle with anger and dishonesty and hatred and murder, don't put yourself in a situation where you might rise to that level and fall into the sins you don't want to fall into. This is basic stuff. The scriptures say flee temptation. Don't touch evil. This is all you've heard for the past few weeks in the sermons. So first thing is be calm. If you can't control yourself, then you know, remove yourself from a situation. Um, and as far as the congregation goes and the leadership, um, you know, I think we've, we've made steps in this direction. Some of you reacted uh, or received the change in structure to how we handle the voters' meeting. Um, maybe you didn't receive that very well. I would say to you the reason we changed the structure of the voters' meeting was to make restitution for this sin. So they said, they said the congregation didn't control it. Well, guess what? Now we'll put a structure in place where we can control what's said, who says it, where they sit, how much of a voice they have. If that's a sin, that's how we have to make restitution. So the reason we went down to the gym, real honestly, was not just to pee people. We went down to the gym because we were trying to make restitution for this specific sin. The, I mean, read the last line. Elders, pastors, and other leaders contributed to murder when they failed to restrain these sinful public attacks. All you have to do is remember what happened. People screamed, people yelled, lots of people who weren't members spoke, voted. I mean, when the votes, when the votes don't always add up, you know something fishy is going on. So what do you do? You put a structure in place where people then are limited in their ability to murder and to sin. This is what any family would do. If your kid is looking at bad stuff on the internet, what do you do? You download a parental privacy thing, right? This is just caring for your family. Okay? Any questions on number five? Yes. Yes. Yeah, good question. The question is, you know, he, Byron said he saw some military folks who were here, and they're sort of trained to react in a certain way. That's the reason they go off to 
prep school, the military school, pick all your things. So they're trained that when something happens, they don't have to sort of think through it, they don't have to gather a group of people, they don't have to call an elders meeting, they can just, boom, react. Um, and has there been any of that for, for congregational leadership? Um, not particularly, and the reason is, no congregation should ever have to put this into place. I mean, that's a, that's a mark of not only being a fallen people, we can always say we're a fallen people, that's a mark of being a very skewed congregation in some sense. And I, and I know some of the things that led to it, and I know people have different ideas. Partly, the reason we were a little unprepared was because for years and years and years, that wasn't the situation. It's like when AOR was here, they said, you have the worst constitution we've ever seen. But the reason it's worked for you is because you've never had a conflict to deal with within the Constitution. No, it doesn't matter how bad something is, so long as people are playing nice together and respect each other, it's never an issue. But once it becomes an issue, then you've got to figure it out. So I agree, maybe some training would be good. Maybe training for the people who, who said it would be good as well. Um, yeah, oh, that's true, yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. Yep. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's that's part of the, yeah, when something blows up and not everybody feels like they have the right information or all the information, uh, it can, it can blow up very quickly. Joe? Along with World War II, and yeah, exactly. Yeah, just so you know, uh, Joe, Joe is going to take next week, and that'll be very helpful. He's going to sort of give you, I don't want to tell you what he's going to give you, but he's basically going to give you an update on where everything's at and how we move forward together um, in a variety of ways. So this is part of the thing we'll talk about next week. Actually, it does take a cultural change. It takes training people in the congregation and leaders to know how to deal with certain situations. But step back from that for a minute. And just say, I mean, doesn't it sadden you that we even have to talk about this? It does. I mean, that is, uh, that's not the way the Lord sets up his church. It happens. Uh, but just because it happens doesn't mean it should be us. So we've got to figure all that out. All right, seventh commandment. Jump down there. And I've only given you a few. I mean, you can go back and read the whole report. Um, and you'll see all the other ones as well. I think they're all the all the sins except for adultery were addressed, and hopefully that's not an issue. Um, and I mean that seriously. Uh, when you know conflict arises, things that happen as your marriages break up, and not all the time, but if you're if you're weak and if you've touched evil, that can be a natural consequence. So they didn't address that, but if it is an issue, you know we need to chat about that. Seventh commandment: When the congregation's leaders used funds designated for, by a donor for other purposes without that donor's specific permission. And if the congregation failed to repay those funds, this was a form of stealing. When people demanded that the congregation or school borrow funds for operating expenses without a specific plan for repayment, this heart desire was also a form of stealing. Lack of fiscal responsibility is not simply poor management, but a sin against those who entrusted funds to the congregation including donors and God himself, okay? So there's sort of a double sin there. One is someone gives money. It's like if we were to collect 130, let's say we collected $50,000 this morning 
And uh, we said, this is all for Russia. This has been designated for Russia. And then we say, uh-oh, uh, you know, a big pipe broke. We need to pay this off. We're going to borrow the designated funds that you all gave to Russia to pay off the bill to the plumber. That's part of the sin, if I don't tell you that. If I don't come back to you and say, you know what, we had a pipe break. Let's borrow this, and then we'll pay it back. Part of the sin was taking it without telling the person who gave it. The other sin is what? Taking it without... Not only not paying it back, with no plan to pay it back. So if I say fifty thousand bucks, look at this, fifty thousand bucks from the people on Sunday morning. We need to pay off the pipe, or we need to buy the new pipe. Now, how are we going to pay this back to Father Vitali in Russia who can't afford the surgery? I don't really know. We'll pray about it, but I don't really know. So there's a double sin: dishonesty, taking something without asking, stealing, and taking something without a plan to repay it. So now, how would you make restitution for this? I mean, there's some very easy, simple answers, and then there's some more difficult stuff. How would you make restitution for this specific sin? I like the way you think. Pay it back with interest. That's good. Yeah, first thing is, you've got to find a way to pay it back. So you can't just say, oh, geez, we had a couple bad days or a couple bad years, we're not going to pay this back. And believe me, that was said many times. We should just forget about this. Don't quite worry about it. We'll make it up in the future. Part of it is you have to be willing to pay it back, which is a very tough thing, right? What else? Yeah, the other thing is plan for the future. So you never make the same mistake again. Um, That would be part of it. Pay it back. Don't ever do the same thing again. What else? Yeah. Exactly right. If you've taken money that wasn't yours without the person knowing, you owe that person an apology as well um, because they think their money's still going to something else. That's part of it. Yes? Yeah, that's, uh, that would be a good thing. In fact, it's so good we've already done it. Uh, yeah? Uh, that's part of just coming back in real time. I mean, you guys are you guys are away for a good part of the year, but yeah. In fact, the um, you don't get much higher level than the Archdiocese of Joliet. Uh, and in fact, the the head auditor for the Archdiocese of Joliet has worked on our stuff as well. So that's often been said. Let's have someone audit it. Let's have someone look through this. Um, that's all been done. Yes. I know, yeah. Yeah, good. Yeah, the Metro guy who committed suicide. He did sort of apologize for doing it, and then he committed suicide. He never quite paid back the funds. Um, that might be that might be his form of restitution. But I think for us, here's the thing: you pay it back, and pay it back in. Re- I mean, you can you can pay anything back over a long period of time. That's why people have cars they're paying, you know, they're paying for, or they're paying on for 20 or 30 years, long after the car's done. You can pay your credit cards, you know, for a long period of time. This has got to be reasonable. This is not like let's spend the next 70 years paying this back, because guess what? The person who gave it isn't going to live 70 years. So pay it back, make a plan not to do it again. And the other thing is, and, and this is where this is where I think restitution is very important. 
What's happened is, because we've taken money that was designated for other things, many departments have suffered. And that's why you, know, you guys kind of thought I was joking when I said to Carol, we'll give you $10,000 next year. Other departments have suffered greatly. Outreach, youth, pick your thing, because we've redirected money in other ways. Maybe part of our restitution is to say, you know what, Carol? You've not done anything for outreach because you don't have the funds. Next year, we're going to make that a priority. Or we're going to make youth a priority. Or we're going to make pick your thing a priority. That's part of our restitution. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you could, but the money never comes back then. Money's real stuff. And guess what? You have to have it to survive. Go ahead. Completely agree. Do you all hear that? Basically, the point was you've, you've lost the trust in some very faithful members of the congregation who have said, I gave money for years and years and years. Now, publicly, in a public document, AOR report, it says that you've taken money that wasn't yours and spent it on other things. I don't know if I can give any more money above and beyond my normal tithe, or in some instances, even my tithe itself. Now, that has its own set of troubles, and we've got to work through that. Because remember, uh, here's the thing about trust. Trust is not earned. Trust is given. But once someone breaks trust, in order to get it back, then it suddenly is what? Earned. So when you walk in your first day, you should trust the person who's been given care over you. But once they do something that's been a grave sin, and you've lost trust with them, objectively, there's data to prove it, not just because you don't like the person. Suddenly that trust needs to be earned. And partly what we need to do as a congregation is say, if we've sinned in specific ways, stealing to fund something, we can't do that anymore. And in fact, we're going to make an effort to earn back the trust of the congregation. The question is, the live question is, has that happened? That's a live question. Okay? All right, one more. Eighth commandment. I want to get through this so Joe can have the whole shot next time. This, of course, if you remember Ted Colbert, he had a brilliant thing on, in November whenever we had that meeting. I thought he did a phenomenal job. And uh, at the very end, he said, or he got to the Eighth Commandment, he just said, stop the gossip. You don't need to describe it, just stop the gossip. That probably was very, that was very well said, actually. But if you look at their description, instead of speaking well of others, as required by the Eighth Commandment, people sinfully judged one another, condemned one another, and gossiped. This was especially apparent in sinful and hurtful emails, some of which the ambassador's team reviewed. See Exodus 20, Proverbs 26, Matthew 7, Ephesians 4, and all of that from the AOR report, page 10. You remember the Soviets had this, had this poster back in the 40s that said something like, uh, don't chatter, gossiping borders on treason. <laughs> Guess what? Gossiping is treason. Okay? It's betrayal. Um, so part of the sin was folks gossiped, and in gossiping, they actually betrayed other people. So how do you make restitution for that? That's the live question. What would you do? Yeah, you would gossip good things. <laughs> uh, although gossip pre, uh, presupposes bad things, but you're right. You would do exactly the opposite of what you did before. So if you shot off, and I'm, I'm being very serious, okay? 
If you shot off an email that you know got disseminated to 100 people, you need to find a way to go back to all 100 people and say that wasn't true. Because so long, and, and I would even say to you, and I said this a couple weeks ago, even when you go back and say that, they're never fully going to believe it. If, if you, Jan, thought I had stolen you know, $100,000 from the church because someone told you that, and someone came back and said, I was actually not telling the truth, I'm very sorry about that, deep down she would still do what? Wonder if I stole the money. Here's the thing. You can never fully make restitution, particularly for sins against the Eighth Commandment. You might be able to do it for the Seventh, pay the money back. You might be able to do it for the fifth, you know, try to, you know, help their reputation, not hurt their reputation. You might be able to do it for the third, come back to church. The eighth commandment, if you don't believe there's power in words, read the eighth commandment. You can, with a word, destroy someone's reputation eternally. And no matter how much you go and try to fix it, it never quite gets fixed. So my, so here's my thing. Well, not my thing, here's the Lord's thing. If you've sinned against the Eighth Commandment, you need to make restitution. That's done by going back person to person and saying it was not true. And if emails are your thing, don't send emails. I mean, the bad thing about an email... Say that again? Well, yeah, that's where we started. Zacchaeus did fourfold, right? But the bad thing about an email is um, almost anyone can track it down. (laughs) So if you ever think you're sending a private email, unfortunately, it sort of gets out. Um, so you probably need to go back and sort of say, that was inappropriate, that was not true. Email by email, phone conversation by phone conversation, person by person. That, George, is where it takes a lot of time and a lot of self-discipline, and you're going to endure a ton of pain because suddenly, what's at stake? Not the reputation of the one you've hurt. If you've lied about me, it's not my reputation at stake. My reputation's already gone, hit the bottom, doesn't matter. What's at stake now is your reputation. That's why way back when I said, when you sin, you're in control. You have the power. Once you've sinned, who has the power? The victim. You know why? Because when you go back and tell all 100 friends you told a lie about George Marcus, guess what they're going to think about you? He's a liar. That's a painful thing. And it's part of the reason why we don't want to make restitution. And here's the thing, friends, and then Joe will come up next week. The the thing is, if you just pray to Jesus and say, forgive me for that, it is not done. And in fact, it's not wholly forgiven until you go back and make wrongs right. Okay? Person by person. That's the reality. That's the scriptures. Read the text. Okay? Now, I said to Pastor Bruzik this morning, I need to go gently. That didn't quite happen. Um... Just trying to help you all out. Just ease up a little. Okay? I know it's painful, um, but here's the good thing. You know, once you get through the narrow straits, they're wide open places. Um, And when you get through restitution, it is a new day. That's when you reach the new day status. So endure the pain um, and realize there's also joy in this. That was the sermon for this morning. You may not be happy, but there's joy in this. Endure the pain, get through it. Rejoice in what you're doing. Know that you're on the side of the angels. This is what the angels want you to do. And suddenly then we'll have a new congregation. The thing not to do is just to say, I'm out. Or I'm not going to do that. That doesn't solve our problems. Okay? Any final questions?
Yeah, Christ did. He did make restitution. That's right. So he set a good example for you to follow. Okay? Anything in the back, you, you stragglers back there? I feel like they're like standing room only at the Blackhawks game back there. What do those tickets cost, Jill? I know. It is what it is. All right, let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.